Good evening, Australia, and hello to the rest of the world, wherever you happen to be joining us from. My name is Meryl Dory, and I'd like to welcome you to Under the Wire, your home for censored and suppressed information about vaccinations, health, globalism, and freedom. Um, we're expanding our topics now that Under the Wire um, is no longer exactly part of the AVN. We're going to be talking about an awful lot of subjects, and as we found last week we are no longer able to stream to Facebook or to Instagram, but we are streaming, I believe, <laughs> I believe, to Rumble, to Twitter, to Odyssey, and um, we will be uploading to, I think we're also streaming on Twitch and DLive, and we will be uploading to other platforms tomorrow, including podcasts. We hope that you will watch or listen to us on our podcast apps. Um, you can find that through Anchor. Uh, we are on Google Cast. We're on Apple Podcasts. And if you happen to like what you're listening to, a thumbs up recommendation would be very much appreciated because we are seriously suppressed seriously suppressed in so many different places. I watched a video today, not long before going live from Dr. Jessica Rose. And this video talks about how Dr. Rose co-wrote a study with Dr. Peter McCullough, who is, I believe, one of the most published scientists in the world. And it was accepted for publication. And just before it was supposed to be published, um, the magazine or the journal that was supposed to put it um, live contacted them and said that it was not going to be published. No explanation, no reason. Perhaps um, they saw the color of pharma's money and they decided that um, they would prefer not to lose that uh, by publishing the truth. Uh, they'd prefer to lie. And so this is what we're up against. But it's not all bad news because what's happening is People are starting to fight back. Now, we talked a little bit a few weeks ago about the 15-minute city. Now, just for those who didn't hear this and aren't aware of what this is, this is a plan that is going to be rolled out. The World Economic Forum, Klaus Anel Schwab, um, has basically said that to combat climate change, we need to lock people within a zone that is um, a fifth, they can't go more than 15 minutes from where they live within that zone. And supposedly everything they need, groceries, hospitals, schools, um, their employment is all going to be within that zone. Uh, I don't know, it doesn't sound like much of a plan to me. But Oxford in the UK uh, was one of the first ones to put their hands up and say, yes, we're going to split Oxford into six zones. They're not supposed to start this until 2024, but by all indications, uh, they have started their trial, just like the trial of the COVID jab, um, early. But what they're finding is that people are not taking it. Uh, which is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful to see. I just want to share this quick video with you, and then I'm going to share another one afterwards. This first video is taken by a resident of the area. The next video is from mainstream sources. Rightly so as well. I think it's absolutely disgusting sticking flipping plant pots down the road when you're trying to get to work in the morning. Never mind your consultations turning this area into this. It's deserved, I'd do it myself. 
I ripped them ballards up right straight over them. Absolutely disgusting. One put makers. I'm sick of it. Every single road's closed. You can't go to your mum's house. You can't go to work. You have to drive all the way around. Why? Why punish everybody? It's collective punishment. I don't drive a big, fast, stupid car. I don't drive a hundred thousand pound Ferrari, waking people up at two o'clock in the morning. I'm not a drug dealer. I haven't got a loud car with a flipping exhaust that farts and pops and God knows what. I'm sure that person hasn't either. What they should do is spend our council tax on actual flipping police officers and actual cameras and enforce the law and put reasonable and proper traffic calming measures, not block roads off. Absolutely disgusting. And don't care about all oh, you give us consultation and this, that and the other. It was still a, it's an absolute pee take. Into the hole. The aim, to make it hard to install a new one. This footage, obtained exclusively by ITV Meridian, is one of hundreds of incidents of vandalism in Oxford's local traffic neighbourhoods. Those removing the barriers often don't even wait for the cover of night. Now, new figures show just how much this kind of activity is costing. Delivery drivers, some filmed flouting the rules. Condone it, but I can understand it because they're not listening to us, and that's where the anger's coming in. You know, that and people being stuck in traffic. There is no democracy in Oxford. Wanton vandalism or a form of civil disobedience. Now, they called, ITV called this vandalism, but you know what? If you block off people's roads and tell them they can't travel, if you don't allow them an opportunity to have a say in this sort of a policy that affects everyone, then vandalism is the least of your problems and civil disobedience is exactly what this is. I got to tell you, I remember very clearly when um, this is probably over 20 years ago when genetically modified um, paddocks were being trialed in the UK. Again, that word trial, um, I don't believe there was any plan to trial it. They were just going to grow genetically modified soya beans, corn and um, crops like that. Uh, so they, the government had these paddocks and they weren't telling anyone where they were being planted, but somehow, and I can't remember well enough how that information actually got out, but it did get out. And every night, the uh, the people of Britain would go out and burn the paddocks down that had the genetically modified crops in them. And they did it so often and in such a widespread area that eventually the government had to say, all right, forget about it. We are not going to be planting any more genetically modified crops. And they are not. They aren't planting genetically modified crops. I'll tell you something else. I've heard this just the other day, and I haven't verified it yet, but uh, Vladimir Putin in Russia, my understanding is that Putin does not allow any genetically modified crops to be grown in Russia, and he does not allow the import of any uh, products that contain GMOs. Uh, I don't know what their COVID jab is, because I don't think it's a GMO jab, but um, that is the sort of thing that we need is uh, leaders in countries. And I don't care what your opinion is on Ukraine versus Russia. All I'm saying is a leader who actually prevents dangerous um, 
dangerous products from getting into their country that can contaminate uh, all the other things that are grown there, all the people that are eating them. That is the kind of leader we need in the West because uh, our leaders are weak as water. But as you can see, in Oxford, they said that hundreds of these incidents are taking place where people are knocking the bollards down that have been set up to stop people from leaving there. They didn't call it a 15-minute city. Uh, I forget what they called it, local driving area. Um, and people are those, those planter boxes that are on either side of the road. People are also tipping those over and destroying them. And they're talking about the cost to the councils for this sort of vandalism, but it's not. If the councils hadn't gone ahead and done this without the approval of the people who live in the area, which is who the councils are supposed to serve, um, if they hadn't done that, then none of this would have happened. The fact is that it's bloody about time that people are waking up and not allowing their governments to actually do this to them anymore. And I take heart in this. Now, France is another example. Uh, I spoke with my daughter this morning and she said France really has the, um, the protest thing down pat. Um, they are pretty amazing when it comes to protests. Now, I just heard, uh, I'll tell you what's happening a little bit. Um, supposedly, Macron said that the government can't afford to pay people's pensions, so they've cut the pension. And I think they're increasing the number of hours that people have to go to work as well. Uh, so the country is up in arms over this, uh, literally. Um, they also, they, they don't believe that crap from the government because Macron is also paying, you know, billions of dollars to the Ukraine to prosecute this war against Russia. So why are governments like the American government, like the British government, like the French government, sending money overseas while their own people are suffering? Uh, shouldn't a government take care of their own people first? Uh, and I think that's what the people of France believe. And there is a protest to end all protests right now going on in France. As my daughter said, they really do have this protest thing down pat. And my understanding is that there are over 9 million people involved in the protests nationwide. They are saying that they think Macron is going to have to go. Uh, I don't know. I thought he was going to have to go when the yellow vests were out there doing this. But um, this is such an enormous protest against government tyranny, against government overreach, against loss of freedoms, that something is going to have to change. I don't support violence at all. But I do think that there is a time when people have to stand up. And the French people obviously think their time is now. Now, the last um, thing that I saw maybe two hours ago is that the French police are throwing down their batons, they're throwing down their shields, and they are joining the protests. And that is what is needed everywhere around the world. F policemen 
in France, policemen in Australia and in the United States and in the UK and probably in most countries do not take an oath to protect the government. They take an oath to protect the people. And if the government is doing something illegal that is taking rights away and harming the people, then it is up to the police and the, the armed services as well to actually defend the people to do their job. And it looks like in France that may be happening. Uh, again, I take heart from this because I think the only way things are going to change, the only way that we're going to get our rights back is if we take them back. Um, they are Once rights are removed, they are never given back freely. They have to be taken back. They have to be returned to the people by force if necessary, but if not by force, then by uh, voting, by uh, these sorts of protests, by mass demonstrations and civil disobedience. And I am a strong believer in civil disobedience, nonviolent civil disobedience. It worked for Gandhi, and I don't see why it wouldn't work for us. Uh, and I think that if enough people get involved, um, we will see things starting to change. I don't know how many of you out there have been following what's been happening in the Netherlands. Um, the Netherlands is this teensy, tiny little little, little, little country, and yet it is the food, the breadbasket of Europe. It is one of the most uh, productive producers. Can I say that? <laughs> one of the most efficient producers of food in the world, and they're one of the top uh, exporters of food products in the world. It's hard to imagine since it is such a tiny little country. It's like saying Canberra is growing enough food to feed the world. Um, but the Netherlands is a very productive place, and the Dutch people in general, from my understanding, are pretty, pretty placid. They, it takes a lot to get them riled up, sort of like the Canadians. Um, they're just really nice people, and they don't uh, stand up unless they absolutely have to. And what happened is the government of the Netherlands has said that 3,000 farms in the Netherlands are going to have to close down uh, and stop using nitrogen fertilizers because of climate change. Now, I don't think it's a, like a shock to most of you to hear that I don't believe that this man-made climate change is a thing. Um, I don't think that it's ever been proved. I've listened to very eminent scientists on this and um, I've also seen how the figures on warming have been um, just totally twisted to make it look like the world is getting hotter. It's possible that there may be some years that are hotter than others, but it's been 10 years uh, since we've had a record heat wave. Um, in the world. And as a matter of fact, what we're seeing is that the global temperatures are down, not up. That's an inconvenient truth. That's why it's changed from global warming to climate change. In addition, there is not one skerrick of evidence uh, that carbon, and let alone man-made carbon, is the reason that the climate would change. Um, I forget, I read something a while ago that the volcano that erupted in the Philippines, I can't remember what it was called, a few years ago, that that volcano 
uh, put more carbon into the atmosphere than all man-made sources for the last hundred years. So, I mean, we do pollute. There is no two ways about it. We pollute. We don't live sustainably. But instead of concentrating on stopping pollution and increasing sustainability, which I think are very valid and worthwhile goals, um, we're talking about this climate change crap and, and carbon credits and doing everything that will not change the world um, for the better one iota. Anyway, so the Dutch government has said, farmers, you can't farm anymore. 3,000 of you are just going to have to get off the land. We're going to buy your farms back. They've been in your family for generations. We don't care. And you're going to have the ones who are left are going to have to stop using nitrogen fertilizers because of climate change. Well, um, I want to show you this picture. As a farmer's wife, this picture makes me very, very happy. Um, these are all tractors, and these are in The Hague in the Netherlands, and they've closed down the entire city. And the Netherlands had an election about a week and a bit ago, and in that election, the major parties, just like Labour and Liberal and Greens, were supposed to take Parliament and hold it. And instead, the BBB, which is the Farmers' Party, took the majority. They've got 17 seats in their Senate. And the government, even with the help of the Greens, cannot form a government. So the entire country has been turned on its head. And what the BBB has said is that they will, this plan to get the farmers off the land, to get rid of nitrogen fertilizers, is not going ahead. It is simply not going ahead. Now, we've heard things since to say that Soros and and the World Economic Forum could be behind, and Bill Gates could be behind the funding for BBB. And you know what? If it is, it is. The people who are running this are not going to allow these things to go ahead. And um, I want to show you, this is an electoral map of the Netherlands. The green areas, which is the bulk of the Netherlands, green is BBB. And then the other parties make up the little teeny pieces all around there. Um, so the BBB is the vast majority of the government. And this happened without the cooperation of the media. It happened without the cooperation of the major powers in the country. This happened because the people stood up and they said, screw you, we are not going to allow you to do this to us. So how wonderful is that? In contrast, I'd like to show you the electoral map of Australia after this weekend's election in New South Wales. The entire country is red except for Tasmania. Tasmania is the holdout. Um, and they're liberals, which, to be honest with you, I don't think is much better than labor, maybe a little bit. But I didn't exactly think that Dominique Perrottet was any great shakes in New South Wales. And I don't think that his replacement in labor is going to be either. We've seen what labor does to states. We've seen McClown in WA. We've seen Palachuk in Queensland. We've seen Dictator Dan in um, Victoria. And we've seen that nut job in the Northern Territory. What the heck is his name? I can't remember. I can see his face with his googly eyes, but I can't remember his name right now. But, you know, these people are 
not the sort of people that you want in government. They're not the sort of people you want legislating. Um, they are the sort of people who really and truly don't belong in any position of power. And yet here we are. Do I think that the people of New South Wales were that stupid that they returned? Well, they didn't return, but they elected a Labour government without freedom parties. Uh, I know there's still results that have to come in, so it's possible that there would be some freedom parties. I personally don't believe it. I personally think there's been voter fraud because I don't think people are that stupid. I don't think they were that stupid in the federal election, and I don't think they're that stupid in the New South Wales election. But here we are with the map of Australia, and here we are with the map of the Netherlands. What is the difference? I don't know. We had 1.4 million people, according to the best estimates, in Canberra. And immediately after that, or very close after that, we had a federal election where the freedom parties were not elected. Are you kidding me? The 1.4 million who were there probably represented at least 5 million, so 20% of the population. And you're telling me that the freedom parties didn't get in? This does not compute. It really doesn't. So we are stuck in this situation where our vote doesn't seem to be making a whole lot of difference in this country. And I don't know what the answer is. I'd love for someone to help me and tell me what the answer is, or at least make some suggestions. Um, because I don't think there's anything that the Dutch have that the Australians don't have. Um, and yet the Dutch managed to get rid of their tyrannical government and to put a government in place that God willing is going to represent the people and not the powers that be, not the corporate interests. Uh, but here we go with the Netherlands and here we go with Australia. And it's a very sad situation. And speaking about a sad situation, there is something good about this and something bad about this. This is the cover of this weekend's West Weekend Australian. This is our national newspaper. And on page one on the cover, Amy followed the rules on COVID jabs. Was that a fatal mistake? So the cover story in the Australian was about this young woman, 24 years old, Amy, who died after getting extremely ill following um, administration of the COVID jab. She got her second jab. She had a reaction to her first one, but she didn't know that. Um, she just assumed it was totally unrelated. And then she got the second jab and she was never the same. And I think it was nine months later, she died, 24 years old. And her parents want answers. Um, they testified to the COVID inquiry, uh, the parliamentary inquiry on long COVID, which as far as I'm concerned, long COVID does not exist. Uh, long COVID is vaccine reactions. So um, eight months, she died eight months after her second jab. And uh, the cause of death has been held up. You have to wonder why that is. The coroner uh, can't give them an answer. Uh, this was Amy 11 days before she was she died uh, learning to walk again. Um, she went through hell for that eight months. And that was her before when she was healthy. What a beautiful, beautiful family. So the fact that this was a front page story on the Weekend Australian, um, I think 
is shocking. It's amazing because for the last two years plus, uh, mainstream media has been not just ignoring the fact that people are getting killed and injured by these jabs, but uh, attacking the people who've been killed and injured by the jabs, attacking their families, calling them anti-vaxxers for asking legitimate questions about vaccines and about these jabs. And yet here we have a front page story. And The Australian, I have to say, was the newspaper that broke the story about the um, the uh, flu vaccine debacle in 2009. That was another Australian newspaper. That was an investigative report that went on for uh, several days. And because of that, the jab was pulled for children. And because of that, there was an inquiry that had some fantastic results, which the government never implemented. So, uh, but, you know, this is the job the media should be doing. And if the media from the beginning had been asking the same questions that they're asking in this article, that jab would have been pulled within a day or two of it being issued. And yet here we are, um, two years later, um, more than two years, because it was brought out in uh, February 21st, I think. So it's two years and one month. Um, and we are still seeing more and more people die and more and more people be injured. Uh, and the calls for service, um, for service on this uh, is pretty amazing. Now, I have a folder, as always, with all of the information from tonight's show. But one of the um, things that I have there is a very long video. Uh, it's an interview with Edward Dowd and uh, Kelly Victory uh, by uh, Drew, Dr. Drew. I, f I think his last name is Drew. And um, it is an amazing, amazing interview. And I want everyone to hear it. I'm amazed that it's still up on YouTube. I don't expect it to stay up there for too long, but um, I am, I've am i put it in the folder and because it's about an hour and a half long, it's taking forever to upload. My internet's not the best, but I've pulled out one quote from this, um, from this article that I think you all need to be aware of. I think a lot of you would have seen before the jab was released, there was an advertisement in UK newspapers asking for, I think they were searching for a thousand people to come and work for the government. Um, and their job was going to be tracking vaccine reactions. So that was the first, and that was before the jab had even been um, started to be used. I think it may have been in trials, but it was not being used on the general population yet. Uh, and what Edward Dowd, um, who is uh, a data analyst, and he used to work for BlackRock, which many of you might know. Um, and what he, he's also the author of a book called um, Unknown Cause, which is amazing. It's got all of these pictures in it of people who died suddenly and uh, from the jab. And it is a very shocking and compelling book. Anyway, what he said was before the jabs were rolled out in the United States, um, independent contractors had been hired to handle what was expected to be 
a massive increase in reactions. They were looking for a thousand reactions per day to be reported, and they hired a company uh, and they contracted them to take care of collecting and following up on these thousand daily reactions that they knew they were going to have. Did they tell the population? Uh, by the way, we're expecting a thousand of you every day to have reactions. And 40% of them, or 400 a day, were expected to be serious reactions. So a thousand reactions a day, 400 of them serious. Uh, that would be a tr you know, that would be just a scandal, an absolute scandal. The fact that they knew there were going to be a thousand extra reactions every day and they didn't tell anyone. But it's worse than that because what happened is they didn't get a thousand reactions a day. They got 4,500 reactions a day. And the company they contracted with said, hey, listen, we said that we would help you with a thousand reactions a day. You are getting almost five times that many reactions. And yes, 40% of them are serious reactions. So we can't do this. We can't do this anymore. Um, it is uh, it is just beyond, beyond our ability to keep tracking these things. So the number of reactions and deaths that are coming out, um, we are being told they are not related to the COVID jab, but the government knows, the medical community knows, the pharmaceutical industry knows, and the media knows that they are, in fact, related. Um, this is an article, for, well, it's just a screenshot from an article um, in the European uh, Telegraph. Now, I have the whole article in that folder, and I will put a link to this folder on my Substack. So, um, by tomorrow, it should be finished uploading. Go to informedchoice.substack.com and you'll be able to see this uh, and download all of this information. Um, in this article, it says increasing demand for COVID vaccine injury payments has seen the number of staff processing claims increase 20-fold, figures show. And what the article actually says is that there has been a, a large number of claims, but it and people are saying incorrectly that these reactions are caused by the vaccine. But of course, we know that's not the case. The vaccine can't possibly cause these reactions. This experimental, untested, new technology, this gene-modifying piece of crap that's being injected into people's arms um, without their knowledge that, that there's anything possibly wrong with it, that can't possibly be causing any problems. I mean, get out of it. So um, according to this, there's been a 20-fold increase in claims that need to be processed in the United States, in the United Kingdom, sorry. And there's no alarm. There's no, hang on, maybe we need to pull back. Maybe we need to take a little bit of care. Maybe we need to look at why this is happening. No, none of that. Maybe we just need to keep going and keep gaslighting people and telling them that what they see with their own eyes, what their family members and loved ones are experiencing isn't really happening. 
and it's not just the UK. Um, oh, sorry, this is also the UK. My apologies. It's the same article that I just had the headlines for. Um, and it says that the vaccine injury scam scheme, <laughs> Freudian slip, uh, vaccine injury scheme ramps up staff as claims over COVID jabs keep going. Let me see if I can see the date on this. 2023, March 24th. So it's just a day ago. Um, the vaccine damage payment scheme has scaled up operations and boosted its administrative staff from four. They had four people to 80 to handle the claims. A project is also underway to digitalize the application process to make it simpler and quicker for claimants. Can you imagine what questions are they going to be asking? Um, can you please outline your reaction? Um, we happen to have, I think it's 12,000 ICD codes. Could you pick the right codes for your reaction? Uh, I can just see this being really so much simpler and easier. If a person is left severely disabled as a result of receiving certain vaccines, they could be entitled to the one-off payment of £120,000 from the government. £120,000 and you're supposed to take care of yourself for the rest of your life. Um, you know, I think that the government and Pfizer and AstraZeneca and Janssen, I don't think they use Janssen in um, the United Kingdom, and Novavax, they should all be paying for this. They should be paying tens of millions of dollars for each person who has been injured. They should be bankrupted to pay off the people who've been injured and the families of those who've been killed. And until that happens, until they are held accountable, uh, there is no justice and no fairness with this. Here is another article, COVID vaccine, dozens of families damaged by rare reaction to the AstraZeneca jab launch legal fight. There are lawsuits springing up worldwide. And no matter how many thousands and thousands of people are reporting reactions and problems, um, and damage following vaccination with these administration of these non-vaccines, uh, it is always rare. Uh, we've seen a huge increase in myocarditis and pericarditis in the vaccinated and only in those who've gotten the COVID jab, and yet it is considered rare, according to the media and the medical community. It is not rare. It is getting to be quite common. And unfortunately, I believe that 2023 is going to see a record number of jab deaths, uh, way far and above what we've already experienced, which is already a record number of jab deaths. Um, this article is from... The Daily, I think it's, I can't read that. Let me just move it down. News.co.uk. I'm not sure what that is. But um, it says dozens of patients and families whose lives have been damaged by extremely rare reactions to the Oxford slash AstraZeneca COVID vaccine have launched legal action against the pharmaceutical company. Now, this is interesting because the UK also indemnified AstraZeneca. So if they are able to take an action against the pharmaceutical company, does that mean that fraud has already been shown to be the case? Fraud vitiates um, 
indemnification around the world. So if you can prove fraud, you can directly sue. While the vaccine is widely credited with protecting many millions of people from the virus, who credits it with protecting people from the virus? There hasn't been one person who has been protected from anything by any vaccine including these non-vaccine jabs. The only thing that jabs are doing is killing and maiming and injuring. Um, 81 patients died and 364 suffered severe reactions. That's the ones that they are admitting to and the ones that are involved in this case. Um, again, the underreporting factor is between 41 and 100 times. So you can work out what the real figure would be. Um, uh, let me see, some of them resulting in catastrophic injuries as a result of blood clots caused by the jab. Legal action is now being taken against AstraZeneca by the families of 19 people who died after being vaccinated and 54 patients who suffered severe reactions but survived. Um, Strokes, paralysis, and repeated blood clots are among the symptoms of those who suffered very rare but severe reactions to the vaccine. Many have gone from being fit and healthy to being left struggling to walk and talk with little hope of getting better, especially if they are being treated by the mainstream medical community, because the mainstream medical community has no answers for any of the problems that they have caused. But there are answers for these problems. It's just that you have to search them out yourself. And this is another one of the tragic things that is happening, is that the real, the real treatments, the real preventatives have been denied uh, people. They cannot use them. They cannot use hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. They cannot use zinc. They cannot find out about intravenous vitamin C and uh, NAC, N-acetylcysteine, glutathione. They can't find out about any of these things because that information is being suppressed. Um, and that's why if you know someone who's had a reaction and is suffering and is stuck in the mainstream medical uh, hamster wheel, maybe you'd be able to tell them that there is another way and ask them to seek it out uh, through natural therapies. There are very effective natural therapies taking place. And these lawsuits that are happening, they are just the tip of the iceberg. There are going to be so many more lawsuits. And I live for the day when I can see Pfizer and AstraZeneca and every single one of these criminal cartels going under because of the huge compensation they have to pay. And this is um, in Canada. Uh, in Can Canada had some horrendous uh, mandates. I mean, we had pretty horrendous mandates in Australia too. But um, this is Dr. Joseph Hickey. He's a data scientist at the Bank of Canada, which is, I guess, the equivalent of the Commonwealth Bank. Uh, he was placed on unpaid leave without benefits by his employer in November 2021 for declining to receive the COVID jab. And he has submitted an internal appeal of the bank's decision. It is 766 pages long. And um, 
I, I just can't even imagine. This is someone who, if you're, if you're being uh, faced with a, a situation like this, you want this guy on your side. Um, and he cites scientific evidence that demonstrates there are many medical reasons for declining vaccination. And this harks back to the Nuremberg Code, which, of course, Canada and Australia and the United States and the UK are all signatories to. And um, th that code would basically preclude anyone from being required to take any medication, experimental or otherwise, if they don't think it's in their best interest, they have the absolute right to say no. And coercion or bullying or force are definitely contravened by the Nuremberg Code. And I just want to read a few of the um, proofs that Dr. Hickey presented. You probably know most of these. Um, there was no emergency that caused large amounts of deaths in Canada in 2020 to 2021 that would justify vaccinating the entire population. Hello, same goes for Australia. Why did we have a decline in excess mortality in 2020 when the country was in the grips of the worst pandemic ever since the Black Death and only when the jabs started to be given out did our excess mortality rise. Um, there is no reliable evidence that the COVID-19 vaccine products provide any health benefit. And that is true also. These jabs do not prevent infection or transmission. And those who actually get jabbed are much more likely to get COVID than the unjabbed. And the more jabs you get, the more likely you are to get COVID. Um, let me see. There is autopsy surveillance and statistical evidence of grave dangers of COVID-19 vaccine products. Not controversial, that information exists. Um, there is a significantly increased risk of dangerous heart inflammation following injection with a COVID-19 vaccine product, especially for younger males. And this danger is heightened for those who engage in strenuous physical activity. Is this why we're seeing people dropping dead on the playing field while they're playing soccer and football and basketball? Is this why the youngest and healthiest among us, the ones who have the longest lives ahead of them, are dying in record numbers suddenly? Um, after getting a jab. And lastly, it is a fundamental principle of medicine that individual assessment of risk is a personal and confidential choice. None of your business whether I've gotten the jab. And the decision to receive or not receive a medical intervention must be made with free and informed choice. And it brings me back to what I've been rabbiting on about um, since this whole COVID situation occurred. We would not be here today if we had not allowed the government to tell us that our children had to be jabbed or they couldn't go to preschool or childcare. If we had stood up against no jab, no pay and said no way, then we would not be here today. But because we were such cowards, because we were so complacent, because we chose not to stand up and make a huge fuss, and we should have made a huge fuss about that, we are where we are today. And every time we roll over and say, I'm not going to say anything, I'm going to stay in my cocoon and hope that nobody finds me, it gets harder and harder and harder 
to get our rights back down the track to protect ourselves and our children. And I can tell you that I don't want my kids or my future grandchildren to look at me one day and say, Grandma, what did you do when the world was getting destroyed? I'm going to say I was fighting with everything I had. And I hope that you guys will join me in that. Um, and what we're seeing is the people who never questioned any vaccine before are now questioning all of them because of COVID. I'm going to share this little video clip of Senator Johnson in the United States, who has done amazing work at bringing a lot of information to light that wouldn't have seen um, the light of day otherwise. By lying to the American public, by, by labeling truth disinformation, by not being transparent and honest, um, they've increased vaccine hesitancy. And certainly with a guy like me, who was never an anti-vaxxer, I've gotten them all. You know, my kids got them all. Um, but now I'm, again, I'm skeptical. And so I start reading books like Dissolving Illusions, Turtles All the Way Down. You see the, the documentary Vaxxed. Um, you read a host of other books and you wonder, why isn't this being talked about? Why, why aren't questions even allowed? Uh, you know, to me, the, the laws they passed in 1986 when it seemed like we were going to just completely uh, bankrupt or eliminate all vaccine manufacturing because of our litigious society, uh, you probably needed some protection so that we could produce some vaccines. I mean, so again, that, that's certainly the, the narrative back then. So you have to pass these laws to uh, protect the vaccine manufacturers. I don't think it was contemplated that uh, that would lead to an explosion of childhood vaccines because there's no liability on the part of the manufacturers. And so, you know, I first talked to Bobby Kennedy about this. Uh, he said, well, Ryan, let me give you a, a five minute uh, primer on, on vaccines about 45 minutes later. Uh, but he starts out, you know, we're about the same age. When, when we were growing up, we got three vaccines. You know, now it's what, 60 or 70? And they're doing them in multiple, in multiples? Now, that is Senator Johnson. He is a federal senator in the United States. And that clip is part of a longer interview on the Epic Times. The Epic Times is not CBS or NBC um, in the United States, but it has a huge viewership. And Senator Johnson mentioned things and they flashed up the cover of Dissolving Illusions. They flashed up Vaxxed. He talked about the 1986 act that indemnifies the pharmaceutical industry. I would say 90% of the people in the United States would have no idea of any of this. And a lot of them are going to see that clip and they're going to think, wow, maybe I need to get to learn more. Here's a guy who says he's taken every single vaccine and he gave every vaccine to his kids. And yet now he's skeptical. He's talking about Bobby Kennedy, who is as close to royalty as you get in the United States. Um, and, you know, maybe I need to learn more about this. And maybe this is a clip that you can download from that folder that I'm going to share. And you can share it with your friends and your family and your workmates. This is a credible person. This is not some Looney Tune. This is Senator Johnson in the United States. And he is saying straight up 
that he's become skeptical about vaccines because of the indemnification, because we used to have three vaccines and now we've got 70 plus, and because the, the pharmaceutical companies are lying through their teeth. He didn't say that, but I'm saying that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there is information getting out in the main mainstream. There was that cover of the Australian newspaper this weekend. There is Senator Johnson. There are articles appearing in mainstream publications. Uh, but there's still an awful lot of denial. Let me just go back to the beginning. Um, this is abc.net.au. Talk about lying. Um <laughs> this is an RMIT ABC fact check. Um, checkmate, your inoculation against misinformation. I think the ABC wouldn't know misinformation if it bit them in its big butt. Um, so uh, this week, Checkmate investigates whether excess deaths among children have increased by more than 1,000% in Europe, which... You don't need to investigate that. That was actually the figure, um, which some have linked to COVID-19 vaccines. Okay, Occam's razor. The simplest explanation is likely to be the right one. We also debunk claims that AstraZeneca vaccines caused monkeypox. I don't think anybody ever claimed that the AstraZeneca vaccine caused monkeypox. And ask, is there really no one in the world making electric utes? Well, who cares about that? Okay, social media users have seized on comments by a Swedish blogger, that's Peter Sweden, and he gets real information and uses it to argue that vaccines have caused a surge in deaths among children. Um, in children aged 0 to 14, there has been a horrifying 542% increase in excess deaths this year compared with last year. That's 2022 versus 2021. He tweeted, sharing a link to his longer article. Soon after, he revised the figure upwards to 1,101%. What they're saying here, they're not denying that there was that huge increase in deaths in children. What they're saying is, yes, there were these deaths, but it wasn't the vaccine. We don't know what it was, but it wasn't the vaccine. So how do they know that? They don't know that. Um, what they're saying is that the 0 to 14 age group was very broad. So you have two big a group and therefore you can't really get any statistics from that and yet this is a tactic that the pharmaceutical industry and the medical industry use all the time you're comparing apples with apples we have death figures for 0 to 14 and when we have death figures from 0 to 14 that go up in one year, 1,101%. And the only thing that's changed over that period is the introduction of an experimental gene-modifying injection, which was tested on eight mice before it was released to every child in the world. Um, I think you can pretty well say that that experimental injection is what actually caused the deaths. And... Um, 
they're they're trying to claim that the number of deaths is smaller, but this is official statistics. They can claim all they want. The fact is this is happening, and it's not just there. We talked about last week the 20% plus increase in excess mortality, sorry, 17% plus increase in excess mortality in Australia. This is in the United States, and this is from January 2022, so it's a year old. There was over a 40% increase in death rates um, over pre-pandemic levels after the jab came out. This is from the insurance industry who, you know, that this is their bread and butter to know what is happening with people's lives and their deaths. And they saw a 40% increase. This has never been seen before, ever. In working age people, the youngest, the healthiest people were dying in droves. So what can cause this? What has changed? You don't need to be a rocket scientist. Blind Freddy can see this. All you have to do is be thinking and not be bought. The fact is that these jabs are killing and killing in huge numbers. And we haven't stopped this. So the huge numbers are actually going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and this was, I wrote, this is my Substack. It's informedchoice.substack.com. I just wrote an article this week because I think it was on Monday. Um, Senators Malcolm Roberts, um, Babette, uh, Canavan, I don't know how to pronounce that, Canavan, uh, and Gerard Rennick uh, proposed a motion that there be an investigation into the 17% plus increase in excess mortality in Australia in 2022. Um, that the Senate acknowledges that A, there has been a concerning number of excess deaths in Australia in 2021 and 2022, as evidenced by recent all-cause provisional mortality data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics, and B, there is a need for further inquiry and scrutiny as to the reasons for these excess deaths, including why dementia and diabetes have seen significant increases in recent years. These are very reasonable requests. Why would any politician whose job it is to protect their constituents. Why would any reasonable politician, why would any media outlet person, why would any doctor not want this to go ahead? Why would you not want to be asking these questions and looking into them before more people are killed or harmed? The fact is that every single parliamentarian, except for the ones who moved this motion, voted against it in the Senate. So, that's all you need to know about the senators in Australia. They don't care about Australians. They don't care whether you live or die. They don't care about your children. They don't care about your lives. They don't care about you. They are bought hook, line, and sinker. They are not people who we should be um, looking up to. They are people we should be calling out and getting out of office. Uh, this is the biggest and the clearest sign of the blatant disrespect that Australian politicians have for the Australian population. They don't love this country. They don't love the people in it, and they should not be in positions of power. Now, 
Um, this information has been coming out. If you don't follow Jiggy Leaks on Twitter, um, I highly suggest you do it. Um, Jiggy Leaks uh, and his mouse army, I've mentioned them before, I know I have, um, are doing incredible research. And one of the things that they have been finding, and one of the things that um, has been put out on social media, but not necessarily picked up by the mainstream, is that these COVID jabs are seriously contaminated um, with DNA. Now, we've been told there is no DNA in these jabs. We've been told that if you had DNA in the jabs, they couldn't be used because that can actually cause um, mutations in the people who get them. This can change our genetic structure. Uh, and I think the, from memory that there are three parts per billion DNA that are allowed, uh, according to the governments and uh, the actual figure is 300, 100 times more than that. There are 300 parts per billion of DNA. Um, this is the Pfizer monovalent vaccine, which is not the, the booster they're using now. Um, and what they have found is huge amounts of DNA contaminating these jabs. Now, I personally don't think it's contamination. I think it's in there intentionally. And what we're seeing is, um, we, I, we've already talked about how supposedly in August, um, the government is going to be injecting all cattle in Australia with messenger RNA vaccines against um, FMD and hoof and mouth disease, I think it's called, um, even though we don't have either one of those diseases in Australia. There is a desperate attempt to get this crap into all of us. And the ones who haven't taken the jab, they're going to get it in them anyway. If they eat the meat from these animals, if they are sprayed with it, um, as we've seen, the Office of the Gene Technology Regulator has given permission for a spraying of mRNA with no necessary, <laughs> with no real reasons being stated um, in certain areas. Uh, they are basically being given a license to kill and they're giving themselves that license. This is why I honestly can't understand how we are allowing this to continue. Um, I think back to maybe 50, 60, 70 years ago, if this had been done to the population, there would have been a revolution. Um, and maybe that's what's starting in France right now. Maybe this is another French revolution. And if so, vive la France. That's all I say. Um, I think that we need to not allow um, these sorts of things to continue. We need to stop it. Um, our children are counting on us, our communities and our grandchildren are counting on us. So this contamination in the COVID jabs is not controversial. This has been found. It's been found in lots all across. Um, and it's not just Pfizer that it's in either. But nobody is saying boo about this. This is illegal. In Australia, you need permission from the Office of the Gene Technology Regulator to do this. Where did they get permission? Where? I'm, I'm sure the Gene Technology Regulator would have given them permission anyway, just like they gave them permission to spray it out of planes. And this is another thing. I'm in the process of writing a substack because it is not just in jabs and in 
cattle that this mRNA is being used. Um, my understanding, and I'm still in the process of researching this, my understanding is that insulin products that are given to people who have type 1 diabetes also contain messenger RNA. They never did before, now they will. The flu vaccines this year are going to contain messenger RNA. They never did, now they will. There is no scientific reason for this to be there other than the fact that our government wants to get around anyone who does not want to get this crap put in them. So this is something that we need to all be aware of, and I will be putting something up on my Substack this week. I'm in the process of researching it. And speaking of Substack, here is another really good Substack um, that I suggest you subscribe to. This is Super Sally. Um, she lives, she's an Australian living in the Philippines. She does amazing research. And um, her uh, Substack is supersally.substack.com. And um, she puts out incredible information. And what she's pointing out in this article, it's a very long article. It doesn't just talk about this one thing, but this is the lead story. Um, we have regular, um, what do they call them? We, we um, withdraw things from rec recalls. We have regular recalls of things, not just cars, not just um, electronic devices, but many things are recalled all the time. And here is a recall of what they're calling killer eye drops. We've got to get the fear porn going, killer eye drops. Um, has anyone died from these eye drops? No. Um, have people been harmed by them? Yes, there have been 60-some-odd, I think, in the United States who've been harmed by these eye drops. And that's a bad thing. That's a really, really bad thing. Um, but in the United States, there are over 35,000 deaths and 1.5 million, I don't remember exactly how many, uh, injuries because of the COVID jab. And there's not one call for the COVID jab to be withdrawn by anyone in the government, in the media, or in the medical community, except for the people who are on our side. And they're all just considered anti-vaxxers and they can be ignored because of it. You have injuries from eye drops and you withdraw them. Good. You're doing the right thing by doing that. You need to take the duty of care. The precautionary principle says that you need to prove that something is safe. But why the hell are you not taking the same precaution when it comes to a product that was never tested, that was never found to be safe or effective, and in fact has been shown to be incredibly unsafe, completely ineffective, and deadly? Why, after three years, is this jab still being administered to anyone? Why is that happening? And there are many reasons, I think, and preventing COVID is not one of them. Um, I think that there is a globalist agenda. You may call me a conspiracy theorist, but I think there is a globalist agenda. And the reason, one of the reasons that we want to get, what well, that the government and the medical community want to get this mRNA into everyone is because once we're all injected with this, once we have this in our bodies, we may become, as Yuval Noah Harari from the World Economic Forum said, hackable humans. Um, the transhumanist agenda, this is not a conspiracy theory. This is quite 
open, quite blatant. And if you don't believe me, look it up. Transhumanism, 5G, graphene oxide, and the COVID jabs. These all work together. I'd like to play you a short clip by one of my personal heroes in the Senate, Malcolm Roberts. If this parliament gets it wrong, everyday Australians will suffer through inflation or worse, stagflation for decades. And instead of working together to push Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum plan based on United Nations policies, work together instead for our country. Klaus Schwab's life by subscription, quote, is really serfdom, it's slavery. Billionaire globalist corporations will own everything, homes, factories, farms, cars, furniture, and everyday citizens will rent what they need, if their social credit score allows. The plan of the Great Reset is that you will die with nothing. To pull off this evil plan, Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum will need to take more than just material possessions from Australians. Senators in this very chamber today who support the Great Reset threaten our privacy, freedom and dignity. Yes, they're in this Senate chamber. One Nation vehemently opposes the Great Reset, the Digital Identity Bill, theft of agricultural land use, forcing farmers off their land and all of the Great Reset. One Nation has a comprehensive plan to bring our beautiful country back to sustainable prosperity. And in the months ahead, we will be rolling that plan out. Instead of Lib Lab pushing Klaus Schwab's Great Reset with the tagline, you will own nothing and be happy, One Nation advocates the Great Resist. We stand for a world where individuals and communities have primacy over predatory globalist billionaires and their quizzling bureaucrats, politicians and mouthpiece media. One Nation accepts the challenge to provide a better future for everyday Australians. We have one flag, we are one community, and we are one nation. So I, I had to end with that because I think that's hopeful. I think that we need to realize that there are many, many really bad people out there who are working against us, but there are hundreds of times more good people working for us. We are part of the great resist, as Senator Roberts said. We are part of that movement that will, in the end, win. This little cartoon shows two people sitting on a hill. There are chemtrails in the air. And one of them says, what happens in the end? And the father says, we win. And that is the absolute truth. No matter what happens in the next few weeks, in the next few months, in the next year or two years, in the end, we will win. Don't ever doubt that. But we will win sooner with your participation, with your active uh, participation and resistance. We all need to resist the tyranny that we're facing right now. We all need to use civil disobedience when it is called for. We need to stop cooperating with tyrants. We need to stop being afraid. Um, there was something on on Twitter today 
what Jiggy Leaks, I think it was, put a poll up. I can't even remember what the poll was about, but um, people were responding and I responded to it. And someone said, if you respond to this, it's like giving your name and details to the government and they can come after you. And I just said, they already know who we are. They already can come after us. There is no place to hide anymore. The only strength and protection is in being public, in speaking our truth, and in telling the bastards, come and get me, because I am here with millions of people who feel the same way as I do. We need to be brave, we need to be strong, and we need to remember that in the end, we win. And that's all we need to know. So I thank you so much. Um, I am just going to talk to you very briefly about um, Under the Wire and why I haven't had any guests on. Um, since I lost Facebook, I haven't really had a huge number of people viewing this live. I do get a decent amount of people viewing it afterwards. My rumble um, is actually getting much better, but it's still nowhere near what it was when we were on Facebook. So I'm trying to build this up because I don't feel right asking people to come onto the show unless we have a decent audience. Um, so what I'd like to ask for everyone to do, if you watch this live or if you watch this later on, is to share a link to Under the Wire on your social media. Share it on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, Gab, Getter, uh, Cloud Hub. Share it wherever you happen to be on MeWe. Help out by sharing it. Once I see that we're getting, you know, four or 5,000 people watching it in the first 24 hours, I will start getting people back onto the show. But right now, I just don't really feel it would be right um, because people's time is precious. I know my time is precious too. And um, I just think that we need to, uh, I need to ask for your help. I do need to ask for your help with this. Um, the other thing I'd like to ask for your help with is in subscribing to my Substack. Now, 80% of what I publish is completely free. So just go to Substack. Uh, sorry, informedchoice.substack.com and subscribe. You can subscribe for free. If you are able to, um, please consider taking out a paid subscription. Uh, I understand if you can't. It's This is what I'm going to be using to actually fund my ongoing research into these issues. Uh, and it does cost a lot of money. I'm subscribing to an awful lot of Substacks myself. And I'm also subscribing to um, other journals and sources uh, to help me get the research done that I need. Uh, so any subscriptions that you are able to take out would be very, very much appreciated. Uh, but again, subscribe to my free Substack if you can't afford the subscription. Uh, because, uh, like I said, 80 to 90% of what I publish is absolutely free and I don't charge for it. Only when I do really long investigative pieces do I charge for that. And um, I'm sort of paying for the research and I'm hoping that people will help sponsor that. So other than that, I think I've got nothing else to say um, except I would love to see you here next Sunday 
And I would love for you to share this with everyone you know. From Under the Wire, I'm Meryl Dory signing off. Have a great week, everyone, and I'll see you next Sunday, same time. Bye-bye.